The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. Hi, this is Steve. With everything going on in the world right now, it seemed like a good idea to find a movie that could make us all feel good. A movie that would bring us right back to our childhood and give us that warm, fuzzy feeling that's... Well, it's in far too short supply these days. The truth is, I can't think of a warmer, fuzzier film than the original Muppet movie. I was 10 years old when it came out, and I can still remember seeing it on the big screen with my whole family. No matter what else was going on, the Muppets were something all of us could agree on. And if that's not enough to convince you, we'll be joined by actor and puppeteer Michael Ostrom. Michael worked with the Henson Company for 11 years, and he will give us a rare inside look and what working with the Muppets is really like. So please join Kermit, Fozzie, Piggy, Gonzo, Rolf, and the rest of the Muppets as they go on a quest to make millions of people happy. So that's the Muppet movie coming this Friday to the Cinephiles. Trust me, you won't regret it. You've got talent, kid. Singing, telling jokes. I mean, if you get your tongue fixed, who knows? You can make millions of people happy. Millions of people happy. Millions! <laughs> Hello and welcome once again to The Cinephiles, where each week we enter the world of a great film. We explore its themes, its history, the filmmaking, and the influence it has on us today. My name is Steve Morris. I'm a filmmaker and directing instructor in Los Angeles, California. Hello everyone. I'm John Roca. I'm a voiceover artist, uh, podcast host, show host, and actor here in Los Angeles. I like to throw it all in there. Sure. Why not? You got to survive in this city. It's what I'm trying to tell you. That's Does anyone I'm... survive in this city? You got to survive. Yes, we also we're doing the podcast. We're surviving. We're paying our rent. I suppose. Rents. That's I suppose. That, yeah, no, you're right. You're right. <laughs> um, and we realize is you know we're trying to explore every different genre of film we can. Yeah. And one that we haven't gotten to yet, which I'm really excited that we're finally here, is a family film. Yeah. And uh, we're going to do the very first Muppet movie. The Muppet Movie. The Muppet Movie. I love that. Yeah, 1978, directed by James Frawley. And as we were talking about doing this, I went, yeah. wait a minute. I have the perfect person to talk to. Um, <laughs> uh, my old friend, Michael Ostrom, is an actor and puppeteer who uh, ended up working for, for the Henson Company. Michael, welcome to the Cinefile. Hi, thanks, uh, thanks for having me, guys. I was very happy to be here and to share whatever I can about my life with the Muppets. So I'm really curious is... How did you end up? How does one become a puppeteer? Well, it's very interesting. Uh, when I moved to Los Angeles a long time ago in the 20th century, yeah. uh, <laughs> a good friend of mine, Vinnie DeRamis, he was working at Jim Henson's Creature Shop. And after a year of me kicking around L.A., I finally needed to get a real job. Sure. And he uh, helped me get a job answering the phones at the Creature Shop uh, around the year 2000 or so. And... Uh, Long story short, 11 years later, I left the Jim Henson Company as the production manager of Jim Henson's Creature Shop and a puppeteer. Mm. How that happens, it's interesting. When I first started working there, they said, hey, man, if you want to be a puppeteer, this is not the way to do it. Don't get a job here and become a puppeteer. Those people come from the outside, and they don't right. work their way up. And then somehow I worked my way up and became <laughs> a puppeteer. So I want to start just with the Creature Shop. What, mm -hmm. what, what's the Creature Shop? Jim Henson's Creature Shop is... Um, 
Well, when Jim Henson started, his first puppet shop was in his basement, then his garage, right. and then he got pretty successful pretty quickly. Mm-hmm. Started a New York puppet workshop called The Workshop, and that's where they built the puppets for Sesame Street and all the Muppets. But then as his life took him overseas, the Muppet Show got its funding to be produced right. in England. He created a puppet shop there. And then as he went into creating uh, the creatures for the Dark Crystal, um, he knew he wanted to go in a different direction from a regular puppet shop, and he wanted to create something that was a, used different disciplines, like sculptors, electromechanical engineers. And al- along the way, he wanted to differentiate between puppets and what these things were, so he called them creatures. He didn't want to call them just animatronics. But, and the way Brian Henson describes it, his son, is that a puppet, if you were to cut a puppet open, foam would come out. Right. If you were to cut a creature open, you should expect blood and guts to come out. It huh. is a thing that is to fool you into thinking this thing is alive. So that's the difference between a Muppet puppet workshop and the Creature Shop. So the Creature Shop then went along for years and years in London doing all kinds of films for other clients, not just the Henson Company. And then after Jim passed away, uh, the project Dinosaurs for ABC Television Mm -hmm. came up. So they needed to create a similar workshop in Los Angeles. Mm. And that's how the Los Angeles Creature Shop got its start. It was at Rowley Studios in the basement of a soundstage building the dinosaurs for for, a... for the dinosaur show. And what did you, as the manager, what was the title? You were the. I was the production manager. So at the production manager of the Creature Shop, what, what did that mean you were doing? Well, I did all the not fun stuff. You know, <laughs> <laughs> I, uh, there's a, a wonderful room full of puppet builders, and um, I managed the, the business side of that. I literally managed payroll, supply, scheduling. It is all, all the not stuff. fun stuff. All the not some. <laughs> all the Muppet spreadsheets and things like that. But all the necessary stuff so that everybody could do what they could do to build the, the puppets and also have them used. Uh, in the sh- numerous productions that they were uh, going to do them, put them in. So, absolutely, yeah, absolutely. So without this, we don't. Without the production manager, nothing gets done. Right, and I, I learned that I needed to become a liaison between clients and the builders in yeah. terms of like what we wanted to build, and then look at the budget, and then look at what right. the puppet. We're, you really try to build a puppet to do exactly what it has to do, and if people start arguing about the money, you start to s- try to scale back without sacrificing quality. Yeah. And it's I learned a lot about business and this business. <laughs> I'm sure, things I never expected to learn. Well, it's funny. One of the things there's a great biography of Jim Henson, uh, which I read about a year ago. Yeah. And one of the things I learned through that, it just didn't, I think from watching Sesame Street and the Muppets is I think of those guys as performers mm-hmm. because I have such a relationship to the characters they create. And I didn't think about until reading the book about them as builders. Yeah. You know, is that building the puppet is such a huge part of creating that character. Yeah. Well, that book is the, the biography by Brian J. Jones, yeah. which I can't recommend more highly. Having yeah. just finished it recently myself, it made me put together the pieces from my time at the Henson Company. Was, oh, I understand how this company came together and right. how, why it runs the way it runs. And, and the commitment to creativity. But speaking to builders and performers, there's always this cross-pollination. I'm not a puppet builder. I come to this as an actor. Right. I know how they're built because I hired the builders for a while. But there are plenty of people, like Dave Goles, who plays Gonzo. Mm-hmm. He came into Jim's life as a builder. He was a design person. And eventually, Jim kind of convinced him to try and to puppeteer and to do these different things. And lo and behold, then he becomes Gonzo the Great. You know? <laughs> right. So uh, a lot of puppeteers I know here in town are builders. And... Um, that's great because they know how the puppet works inside out. A lot of times as a performer who doesn't build puppets, you may get a puppet given to you on set and realize this wasn't built to fit my hand. This right. puppet doesn't really work well with my hand. I have to fight against all this stuff to get this puppet to look good. So people come from all different types of disciplines. Sure. A lot of great puppeteers never set out to be puppeteers at all. Mm. And some puppeteers, some of the people that are muppeteering today, 
were like literally teenagers outside the Muppet Studios on us on the phone going, I'm outside. Can I come in in 1978? And now they're still working for the Muppets today. Wow. Like some wow. were hungry go getters and some were like, what puppets? I'll try it. Oh, now I've been doing this for 30 years. Right. You know? <laughs> well, let's go back. and We'll get a little bit of history because you know, Jim Henson's life is so interesting. It really is. Is that he, he starts professionally doing puppets in high school mm -hmm. and uh, is on local TV mm -hmm. and starts to develop some of the characters, including, I think, the character that eventually became Kermit mm -hmm. and been around for since the 50s. Steve, yeah. can I ask, is, where is this in Iceland? Is he in L.A. or in California? So, he's in uh, outside Washington, D.C. Okay. He's in yeah. Maryland. Oh, wow, that's Maryland. my own town. Yeah. Okay, yeah. wow. He went I to the University of Maryland. Really? Yeah. He's a terrapin. Oh, I didn't know. Yeah. Okay. And so it's uh, like from 54 to 61, fresh out of high school, and then while well, at the University of Maryland, yeah. he's doing local TV and starting to develop some of the characters. And then he ended up on a national show, which is, I just drew a blank on the guy's name. Okay. Um, where he created Rolf the Dog. Oh, the Jimmy Dean Show. Jimmy Dean Show. Oh, yeah. wow. So the Jimmy Dean Show, and, and there's a lot of scenes where Jimmy Dean is talking to Rolf the Dog, and suddenly this character... That's the first one to really take off nationally. Right. And at the same time, they start doing um, these coffee commercials mm -hmm. for, uh, do you remember, what's the name of the coffee? Wilkins Coffee. Wilkins Coffee, which, by the way, go on YouTube yeah. and check out these commercials. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Because you see the early Muppets, and they are pretty sick for the yeah. time. Yeah. If you, you know, there's this thing, there's this constant battle about, like, the Muppets, they're for kids. And then people say, no, no, they're for adults. They're for everybody. Jim was very very much interested in the puppets being for adults and they really did start for adults these these coffee right. commercials were on during like the hunt brinkley news hour at eleven fifteen every night right. and the sam and friends his tv show rather sam was, and friends was a show yeah. that he would that was and it was they almost always the wilkins and wilkins coffee commercials the basic premise is always wilkins says hey man do you drink wilkins coffee no i don't and then wilkins murders wilkins yeah Every time, kills him with a cannon, cuts Blows him off, him cuts off. him in two with a guillotine. They're incredibly it's itchy violent. It's yeah. scratchy oh, yeah. all over again. Yes, yeah. it is it's very sick. much so. Yeah. And, and and it creates this thing where it's like, which we know from Bugs Bunny and from cartoons right. is yeah. like, if it's not real, we can do all these horrible, yeah. horrible, wow. violent things. Right. Yeah, that puppets you... can say and do anything. Yeah, back yeah. then. Yeah, it seems like we're more sensitive now. I wonder if we could ever have a Tom and Jerry cartoon now. You know, it doesn't seem to be so. Back then, we had the sense a little more sensibility. Of these we understood it was a different. Now everybody's kind of. It seems like everybody's a little more hypersensitive, and it might not go, might not fly in the same way. No, we, we're we're in this. We talked about this before. We're in yeah. this weird world of political correctness right. and um, being, which I think is you know much more sensitive to what is the impact of the right. things that we are saying and doing. And at the same time, we don't get to say and do some of the stuff that we used to do back That's in the right day. Back then. That's you true. Know? You. Um, and one of the things I wanted to ask you about is that I think there's something they talked about in the early days where the way they use video monitors to mm -hmm. help. How does that work? Well, we still do it the same way they used to do it. The monitors have gotten a little more lightweight and flexible. But everything you're doing is... Uh, you're looking at a monitor. It's television puppetry. It's not the same as just like doing a puppet show in public in a library. Right. Like if I were to do that, I'd be lost because I, I work with a television monitor. What that is, you're seeing the image straight from the camera. The trick is the image has not been reversed. So if you move your puppet, if you move your puppet to your left, it's going to come on screen to the right. Everything mm -hmm. is flipped. Even still today. Mm -hmm. We prefer it that way. Why? We're trained to do it that Just way. Just because you're used to it. Because mm -hmm. it wouldn't be hard to, with today's technology yeah. to have a flop. It would be it. hard for us to work with that. We ask people not to flip the image for us. Right. It's just mm -hmm. not the way we've been trained. Yeah. Yeah. And there's all kinds of things that go into not just sticking the puppet up in the frame, but then how that puppet relates to the frame. How the puppet, like one of the tricks as a puppeteer is to make sure when your puppet walks into a frame that you are creating a floor for the puppet's quote-unquote legs right. and keeping that consistent. 
also keeping the puppet's eye line and focus consistent. It is, it's a lot of people think like, oh, I'll just do the puppet myself. I'll just, I'll just shoot a puppet thing. And then you see the difference between a trained puppeteer and an untrained <laughs> puppeteer. Yeah. Um, wow. that's fat. So, so let me start with this. Where are you? So, so there's the set and you're sort of below mm-hmm. the set. Well, it's all different types of situations. If we had our druthers, uh, we would build the sets about four feet off the ground. And when mm-hmm. a Mupp- the Muppets are shooting their own thing, that's usually the way it is. But if the Muppets are guesting on like Good Morning America or some other someone else's house, right. then that puppeteer is crammed and jammed underneath the available wherever they can be. Right. Yeah. Sometimes you'll ask for a little masking or something to hide the puppeteer or the puppeteer assistant. Often the puppeteers the puppets are being performed by two people. So, you know, like when we just... Why would you need to have a puppet controlled by two people? Oh, well, that's (laughs) that's always been the way. Live hand puppets, like Fozzie Bear, Mm -hmm. uh, that's when the puppet, the one puppeteer is doing the head and one hand, and you'll notice both hands are moving and articulating. That's a puppeteer assistant is doing the other hand. And those two performers need to work in concert together. And that takes years. Uh, People have trained on Sesame Street for years being right hand assists before they become characters of their own. And you can do that with rotted puppets, too. Sometimes if you have another puppeteer do both rods while you just do the head, then suddenly you, all kinds of neat and amazing things can happen. I think that was We also mess with each other sometimes. If you let someone else do both rods, suddenly they're kind of screwing with you. It's like that improv <laughs> game of put your arms behind your back and someone else does their hands. Yeah. That was one of the interesting things I discovered doing research for the, for the show and looking at the Muppet movie, like how much of that was used when they were shooting the film. You know, like uh, the, the opening of Jim Henson, or the opening of Kermit singing Rainbow mm-hmm. Connection, Henson is an underwater like containment system talking to people walkie talkie but someone else is maneuvering the arms while he's maneuvering the body mm-hmm. and then you have Frank Oz possibly in the full Fozzie Bear outfit dancing on the stage all these kinds of things that they did because we'd never seen their feet mm-hmm. until the movie Kermit on the bike is jarring too it's yeah. just jarring well, I, I just, remember I know how that's done saw, too yeah. 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 one thing I've, I've understood about Jim is like whenever a new project would come out he was always eager to try something new yeah. and I think that shot you're talking about when Fozzie's in the El Slizo and yeah. you see him yeah, full yeah, body which is kind of jarring as a kid because we've never seen it before like oh that's what he looks like from the waist down hey one thing i want to mention in terms of like technique if you don't mind me throwing this in there is having recently read the brian j jones book i've always known that jim invented a type of puppetry uh where he took what like kukla friend and ollie were doing or or howdy doody were doing which is basically point a camera at a puppet show as it was understood what jim understood was with the camera and the Mm -hmm. lens i can make the television screen my puppet theater and the Sam and Friends puppet, the Sam, was actually a very uh, uh, a plastic puppet. His, 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 from the, the mouth up, nothing moved on him. Right. And he was paper mache. He was a rigid head. Kermit was like the next big puppet he built. Mm-hmm. And he built him specifically so that basically you're seeing Jim's hand with fabric wrapped around it mm-hmm. with two ping pong balls on it. So he's using his fingers. And that was not just because to make the puppet more malleable was to make it more malleable on camera because he knew I'm going to do close-ups with this puppet Mm, and I can get all kinds of expression out of this puppet so that just making one of the Kermit is almost the simplest Muppet there is he really is like a glorified sock puppet Mm -hmm. right he's always with Jim it was about the how can I get the most out of this potential of television and camera and stuff you look at classic Sesame Street it's like near and far yeah right I often demonstrate this when I give tours at the Henson Company like to make a near and far thing happen you'd be surprised how little the puppeteer actually has to move because of the focal length because of the lens sometimes you think the puppeteers are running all over the soundstage when actually you can just take a step back and hold the puppet a little farther back and boom suddenly it's tiny and then you with a step forward this puppet looks like king kong he's freaking huge in the lens it's very interesting how it was morally even more than puppets jim was fascinated with television and the potential of television and what it could do Well, well and the thing you said about him always wanting to try something new like that's 
that's Walt Disney. That's mm-hmm. that's Pixar. Like these companies that that were continually trying to innovate, mm-hmm. um, and that the you know I've heard this from Pixar, and I know it's true of Walt Disney too, is that the technology drives the art, and the art drives the technology. Mm-hmm. So that you have writers and people with ideas saying, "Hey, I want to do this. I want to do this. I want to do this," and then the technicians have to figure out well, how are we going to do that right and then the opposite happens too where it's like hey we have this ability to do this mm-hmm. and that gives the artist new ideas it sounds like that's exactly what's going on yeah Johnson yeah he would come that, up with what he wanted to do and then have the, the magical it really was magical workshop figure out how to get it done yeah i think that's one of the best special features when you watch animated films because those take like three or four years right and you see it's like they take time to get the technology right to get it to fit you know get hair right get water right mm-hmm. and the one the great ones are always driven to improve to do better to push the boundaries to whatever and so it's no surprise that henson had that within him you know and yeah, clearly the thing you've mentioned about kermit is so great because it's ironic it, easiest muppet yet the most emotive muppet yeah. that they have like his yeah. feelings through just the hand movements and the pushback and everything mm-hmm. it's amazing how you are just you immediately gravitate to that character uh because he seems like an underdog always even though he's you know in charge of them he always seems like an underdog waiting to fail well and that's, and that's what's so great about when did he switch over from doing the adult version of the muppets to more of a kid version that brought about the muppet movie well, it's Sesame Street. I mean, that's the big... That's what, yeah. Okay. So yeah. so he was always resisting. He didn't want to be just a kid's thing. That right. was something he, he wanted. He thought this could be entertainment for everyone and then makes the deal with Sesame Street. He becomes a huge, important creator within mm-hmm. Sesame Street on a lot of... Because he directed some of the animated things. And, and one of the interesting things, by the way, when he makes the deal for Sesame Street, he maintains the rights to all the characters mm-hmm. that he creates. Wow, smart. Yeah. So right. so Kermit and Ernie and Bert and all those those are his. Right. So uh, yeah, so Sesame Street is huge, and then this idea he does the Saturday Night Live thing, which man, I've watched those. They're terrible. Well, they're uh, well, like, a couple things, and as you probably know from the book, uh, he, the Hensons, Henson and Oz, they didn't write the material right. for for the Land of Gorch. I think it's called. Yeah, uh, on, on the they had Saturday Night Live, Live writers, and too. it was a uh, there was uh, the Saturday Night Live writers didn't care for it. That's where the phrase "the mucking puppets" comes from. Right, that's a Jim Belushi, John Belushi quote. Well, um, the, the but Michael, then Michael O'Donohue said, yeah. "I don't write for felt." Right, and he <laughs> hung a big bird in the uh, office. The but if you read that book, you'll see that Lauren Michaels and Jim Henson regarded each other very highly, and they parted ways very amicably. And from my personal experience, the Muppets themselves were on Saturday Night Live years ago uh, when Robert De Niro hosted. Right, and uh, I remember I spent Christmas Day going back over to the Henson offices because FedEx had. Not lost the Muppets, but they. Oh, uh, Christmas is a busy time for FedEx, <laughs> sure. and they hadn't showed up by the time we left work on the twenty third. So I had nothing to do Christmas Day, so I went over and there they were, and I just counted the Muppets and made sure they were all okay. Wow, Kermit brings us out of Sesame Street because yeah. he's, he's you know he's like a reporter in Sesame Street. Yes, I into, remember great in that into getting to the Muppet Show, yeah. which is and and which I didn't realize, which is they tried to sell the Muppet Show over and over again mm-hmm. in all sorts of different versions, including there's a fantastic. I definitely recommend going on YouTube. And finding the pitch for the Muppet Show, where there's a reporter basically calling out the names of the big executives. I think it's ABC, maybe, um, yeah. uh, and saying you're going to make so much money, yeah. and the Muppets will make money, and Jim Henson will make money. <laughs> Have you ever seen this, John? No, it yeah, is, you got to check that out. It is one of the great yeah. pitches, and it, oh, of course, it didn't work. They it. didn't sell it with that. Like, no, just there's other say. stuff out there. Like uh, I, when I worked for the company, we I went to New York and we did a pitch for ad agencies, and then I found uh, there was already this movie Jim had made in like the mid. It's black and white film where he's making a pitch. I think it's to McCann Erickson, and it's very similar. It's oh. like work with the Muppets. It's going to 
to be great. Here's how we work. And then it cuts to Jim and Frank Oz, and they're all really young, and they're, they've got go-go girls on set, and they're drinking beers and eating sandwiches. Like, <laughs> then we take a little break, and it's the funniest thing. Yeah. He's, he's, he, he was parroting television while he became a master of television. Well, and this is, I mean, in a weird way, they remind me of Monty Python mm-hmm. in this level oh, yeah. of we're operating on all these different levels at the same time. We are doing the thing, and, that, and we're doing it really well, and yeah. we're making fun of the thing that we're doing really well, and we're sitting back observing the thing that we're yeah. doing really well. Absolutely, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. And so, oh, finally, we get to the to the Muppet Show. Mm-hmm. Which uh, did you watch the Muppet Show as a kid? Oh my God, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah, yeah. I had a Pigs in Space poster in my bedroom. <laughs> uh-huh. You know, in, in terms of my my life with the Muppets. Um, at one point, the classic Muppet puppets came to Los Angeles and were kind of, I was literally given the key to the room they were kept in, and I was wow. the guy that they would say, we need this puppet for this show. I'll get it for you, and I'll sign mm-hmm. it out, and I'll keep track of it. Wow. And I, you know, I, I kind of got used to it fairly quickly, but every once in a while, I'd go, wait a minute, Dr. Strangepork is in that room. Hang on a second. And I would go get my little key, and I'd go in there, and right. I'd, I'd take out Dr. And the, I remember specifically Dr. Strangepork. I, I took the puppet out and realized, this is not just Dr. Strangepork. This is the Dr. Strangepork. That you grew up with. The puppets have tags in them that tell you when they were built, who wow. built them, what's, wow. what shop they were built. And I'm like, according to the math, this is the one. Wow. And I still never get over that. That's, that's awesome. Yeah. Even on set with the Muppets, sometimes I'll look in the mirror and be like, what, look at what I'm doing. Yeah. Because you could meet Adam West today and mm-hmm. go, this is the guy that was Batman. Yeah. But he doesn't look the way he looked in 1966. Yeah. Right. And you honestly can't stick your hand up him right. and make him come alive <laughs> yeah. in the same way. Yeah, the Muppets are evergreen. Yeah. 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 Um, John you know, was... it, it, before, hold on a second real quick. I want to circle back. I've never had a visual of shoving my hand up Adam West. Oh, my God. Ass, but all right, there we go. Oh, my God. Um, oh my! Um, yes, um, John, do you watch the Muppet Show growing up? Oh yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's those are things I, you know, my parents they're from Bolivia. You know, they're immigrants to this country, so mm-hmm. to them, their their real big thing was for me to watch television all the time, so yeah. they wouldn't speak English with an accent. Like they had this paranoia about it, and I was first born. So for me, sitting in front of the television every night was basically my night every night wow. until like nine or ten. So I've never I would watch been so everything. jealous of you. It's just, I would watch like Bork and Mindy. Like I watched everything growing up, yeah. and the Muppet, the Muppet, Muppet Show was something that all of us could watch as a family, right? And enjoy. And my parents got the jokes every once in a while because yeah. they obviously knew the uh, famous actors or actresses or celebrities that they would have on the show. But the meta jokes, when you go back and watch the show yeah. now, the meta jokes are what makes the show. As, you're, as an adult, you go yeah. back and watch them. These are still great to watch, fun to watch, and they're just happy shows, right? Yeah. I mean, near the end, they, they, you could see they were fall a little bit falling part but for the most part at the beginning it was so fantastic so much fun and it's why the Muppet movie is so good too because it's just an extension of the show sure. and broaden, like broadening mm. out the where they could go and how far they could go and also the film itself is better within meta it's a film about a film right. which is fantastic and right. so I mean the Hare Krishna jokes alone just sell it for me <laughs> sell it for me because of the time frame my so, wife grew up uh, uh, army brat she grew up on bases all over Germany and stuff like that and so when she was a little kid they would have the Muppet show in German on television oh, right. and I remember she says her and her brother were like well, we'll just try to read their lips <laughs> so, so, so greatest for, puppeteer in the world can have great lip sync but you're still not gonna be able to yeah, read right. lips. <laughs> so so for me I, my memory of the muppets was it was one of the three or four shows mm-hmm. that we watched as a family every mm. week it was on sunday yeah and that and that we all 
liked it equally. You know, yeah. it wasn't like you were yeah. watching a kid's show where the kids are being forced to watch a grown-up show. The other ones were Mutual of Omaha's Wild Kingdom. Oh, yeah. Julia Child. Sure. Oh, yeah, yeah Julia those, Child. And The Muppets. And yeah. maybe, like, Hee Haw or something, too. Yeah. Sure. might have been in that list. That's but 70s it was like, syndicated television. Yeah, right there. And, yeah. I rem- and I can so remember. I feel like it was on 6.30 or something like that yeah. on Sundays. All right, let's get into this movie now. <clears throat> yeah, the movie. Yeah. This is an origin story. Yeah. Yeah. This is the kind st- of the Blues Brothers. It's the Blues Brothers. <laughs> <laughs> we're, yeah, the same class. We're putting the band together. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And we're going to go off this in this venture which starts with Kermit in the Swamp yeah. mm-hmm. singing Rainbow Connection. Why are there so many songs about rainbows and what's on the other side? Rainbows are visions but only illusions and rainbows have nothing to hide. And we got to talk a little bit about Paul Williams. Oh Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Paul Williams is the songwriter for the Muppet movie. He is among the most successful songwriters of all time. Yeah. And there's this era in the He's 70s. also an ape. Don't forget he's an ape. <laughs> yeah, he's in, <laughs> he's in Planet of the Apes. An orangutan. He's, he's in weird TV shows. He shows yeah, up yeah. on the love boat. He's yeah. this, He was in the Kiss movie. What was it? Is he really? Yeah, he's in, in the Phantom of the Opera. Phantom of the Paradise. Phantom of the Paradise. Yeah. yeah, he's in that or one of those Kiss movies. I know that. Yeah. And, and he writes some of the greatest songs of all time. He yeah. and Jim worked on an episode of The Muppet Show. And that collaboration was, that's how we got involved with the movie. Oh, wow. Yeah. Jim um, loved working with them so much. And Rainbow Connection's a great, yes. great song. Mm-hmm. And then we have Dom DeLuise, the first of our yeah. many, many guest stars. And this is this kind of movie oh my that we don't make very much, which yeah. is that we're going to have every guest star we could possibly have right. yeah. show up. And he tells Kermit, hey, you should go to Hollywood and be rich and famous. Yeah, just rich and famous. Yeah. yeah. Well, and it's funny. Here's a thing that I was thinking about a lot, which is that he says rich and famous. And there's two ideas that happen right at the beginning, which is rich and famous and make millions of people happy. Right. Yeah. And I thought a lot about the difference between those things because it isn't the desire to be rich and famous that is driving Kermit the Frog. Mm -hmm. No, no. He wants to make millions of people happy. Right. Mm -hmm. And I just think about today and society and why people are becoming actors and why people want... People are seeking rich and famous. Often, maybe we're not seeking to make millions of people happy as much as we could. No. You know, well, and, because our society is more about uh, it's, tr- it's changed so much since '78 to now about self satisfaction, like exploring what makes you happy, what makes you, and if you if you do what makes you happy, then the money will follow, then the fame will follow, then all of that will have follow if you make yourself happy. Whereas in before, it was more about sacrificing for the common good. I think that has changed a lot in our approach. Now, yes, this it's still topical. This movie still works today, this idea of rich yeah. and famous versus making millions of people happy. And I th- that's it's a great thing, point you bring up, Steve, because that's the journey, right? Well, and, and he accrues people who are in his mindset about well, making millions of people happy. And when I know, which I'm sure you guys know too, being in Hollywood and watching this happen, yeah. rich and famous does not make people happy. No. <laughs> the people that I know that have worse. become rich and famous... right. They ain't happy. No. Yeah, I feel like, you know, now that I'm a little older and I've had some friends get rich and famous and stuff, and I think, wow, they had a great run. And now it feels like you spend 20, 30 years after that, people going, what happened to you? Yeah. Like, what do you yeah. mean what happened to me? I worked my ass off. I got rich and famous. I did what I loved. And yeah, okay, the society yeah. moved on, but don't make fun. Yeah. Right. Don't keep it. yeah, it's rough. They can cry themselves to sleep in their mansions, right. but still. At least I had a shot at it. Exactly. At least I, I was rich and famous. Loved. What yeah. are you still doing? Yeah. Well, that's, yeah, that's a good a... point, too. And and I want to now I want to get to what something you brought up earlier, yeah. which is it's the shot of Kermit on the bike. Yeah. yeah. That's the shot I remember as a kid. And 
I didn't know that I hadn't seen Kermit's legs. You know what I mean? Because yeah. you're a kid. Yeah. But then you saw it and you're like, how, what is that? How are they doing that? Yeah. I remember that moment in the theater as a yeah. kid. Like, yeah. being like, oh my, how, how? And then it's just so great. You, you stop wondering how and you just accept it. And then the yeah. next film they did one where they're all riding bikes right. and stuff yeah. like that. I mean, I could tell you how that's done, but I don't want to ruin the magic. <laughs> uh, I don't know. What's, what's your vote, John? Do we ruin uh, the magic? Sure. I mean, people I want, if so. people want to turn it down for the next couple of minutes, sure. they can. It's, yeah. it's not that complicated, yet it is very, very ingenious. Um, uh, back in the day, there were just certain moments when they realized that you just can't get a puppeteer in a certain situation. You just right. can't fit them to get that shot you want. And the technology they used to achieve that, they still used on one of the more recent Muppet movies I worked on. Oh, wow. There's a shot that was cut out of the 2011 film where the character well, no, it wasn't cut out. The character of Walter is whistling on stage by himself. Mm. And you can see his legs standing there. It was done exactly oh, yeah. the same way. And what, that's what we call an RC Muppet, a radio-controlled Muppet. Oh. It's quite simple. Um, I don't want to credit the wrong person for it. I think it was Faz Fazakis. I think that's how you say his name. He was one of the original tinkerers. or Tinkerers, that's a condescending term. He was an me- electromechanical engineer. He was, a, he was a gadget guy who would figure this stuff right. out for them. And it's a very simple thing. Uh, radio frequencies send a signal from a mitt that's called a Waldo mitt. Mm-hmm. And um, so if you can listen to me as I flap my hand in the air so you can see what I'm doing. (laughs) But it basically in real time translates through radio frequency, the puppeteer's hand moving, flapping the mouth into a puppet that is filled with radio controlled servos and is receiving that 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 radio signal and reacting in real time. Back in that day, of course, probably had to be quite close to it. Uh, radio frequencies have gotten better. better yeah. Sometimes when we're on set, we have to make sure the walkies aren't interfering with an RC puppet mm. who's working on set. Uh, so that's how that was done. Um, and then it's not just the mouth, obviously. It's the head and neck movement, left, right. right, up, down. So there are corresponding servos that translate that. And then that that solution led to when Jim, when it came time to do The Dark Crystal and Labyrinth, he wanted that that turned into an animatronic control system which also sometimes had cables attached to it but then moved away from that and that now has led to a computer animation control system the henson company still uses on shows like sid the science kid a show coming out right now called splash and bubbles they're using the puppeteers are still controlling i've used this system it's called the henson digital performance system and Mm -hmm. it's basically an animatronic rig used to control digitally animated characters which can cut down on animation production time but also from a creative point of view gets back to a performer controlling a very complicated puppet. Right. Like, a lot of the Henson people helped work on Yoda, for example, even though that's not a Henson production, right. a, Henson, a Henson thing. But they were all friends, and they all knew each other. And the original Yoda was a team of, like, four or five puppeteers controlling, like, one eye or the other eye. Hmm. So these people had to rehearse for weeks and weeks just to get to a common language of expression. And Jim appreciated that, but also realized we're moving away from one performer. From one individual. So all of this technology is basically trying to get back to a sock puppet like Kermit, where a performer like myself could possibly study how to use these systems and then throw it all away and get back to performance. That's such an interesting thing that I always think about technology is like, like you have a pencil Mm -hmm. and a pencil works really well and it's old, simple technology and you have a piece of paper, you can do anything you want and you can have a thick line or a thin line or, you know, you could stop and start and erase and then to get to a pencil on an iPad, you have to have billions of dollars of research and huge advancement of technology to get to this thing that we had, you know, right. years ago. Um, yeah. It seems really similar with this is that yeah. the, the natural and, you know, barrierless connection between the artist and the puppet mm-hmm. 
of a hand in a sock in a piece mm-hmm. of fabric mm-hmm. to get back to that you have to do this massive amount of technology right mm-hmm. but what you're what you're getting though is something much more we're back to what i yeah. the difference between a puppet and a creature right to get a creature to look like a creature and have all those different things that we accept as a living thing is right. a complicated process with mm-hmm. an animatronic creature or, or very realistic animated character so if you can have a control interface that gets it back to something that sophisticated being controlled as simply as a pencil or a sock puppet. That's amazing. Yeah. Yeah. So we go off. So Kermit decides he wants to make millions of people happy. Mm. And we go off on our journey. And who is the first member of the team we find? Fozzie Bear. Fozzie, Fozzie Bear. Bear. I yeah. love. That's my favorite Paul moment. Paul Williams is there playing the piano. In the Paul that's right. Yeah. Don't shoot the piano player. That's right. <laughs> Showtime. Showtime. In the horrible, <laughs> filled with villains kind of bar. Yeah. yeah. So James Coburn. Yeah, and we got James who's Coburn. the owner? Which Why don't you complain great? to the owner? I am the owner. <laughs> <laughs> Plus, the movie is filled with so many of those wonderful little punny jokes. Yes, one-liners, crazy great one-liners. Jerry mm-hmm. Jewell wrote the film; it's so great. Well, and the, again, those one-liners come into this when you're a kid; they're just funny. Yes, yeah. yeah. And then when you're an adult, you're laughing at the dumbness of the. Yeah, you know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. oh, here, here comes another one. Well, yeah. they build and, a giant fork to stick in the road. Oh, that's <laughs> fantastic! Damn <laughs> it! You're not going to believe this. So, John, so John, Fozzie, yes. Fozzie's your favorite. Absolutely. Listen, I know who I am. <laughs> I am a Fozzie Bear. Absolutely. I mm-hmm. want to be on stage. I want to be liked for what I'm doing. But I don't always get there, and that's just how it is. And but my heart's always good, and I want what I what I what I go after. And so for me, I've always felt like Fozzie Bear. I've felt a kinship with Fozzie because he always seems somewhat out of step, but he's always, but he's a good like he's he's doing the good fight. He's fighting the good fight, mm-hmm. and uh, he's naive at times when he should be a little more uh, aware of what's going on. Yeah. So I love that about him. I think they take him right up to the edge of being sad. Yeah. Beautiful, yes. Yes. But they never cross it. Mm-hmm. Like there are things. That, I mean, you. He. It's not that he's not aware that he's bombing. Right. right. He is aware, but he doesn't, and it does get him down. Right. right. But it doesn't get him down to the point where he is so horribly depressed. He doesn't quit. And if you know? at the end of the yeah. bit he can get, he can squeeze one last joke out, he's yeah. back to being happy. Yeah. yeah. You know, he's not. He's not knocked down by Statler and right. Waldorf. They're there giving him <laughs> hell all the time. <laughs> But he keeps fight. he keeps coming out. He keeps well, coming out to do just the, in the act. bar fight. He slides out and becomes the bartender yeah. with the beard, sends everybody right. up to the top, and he escapes. So yeah. he's still smart enough to get out of the situations. He's, a, he's, a, the he's a veteran of the circuit in a way. <laughs> well, yeah. and, and it goes to in a way. These are these messages of the movie, but it's yeah. the resiliency of the artist. Yes, it's not that the artist doesn't fail. It's that you actually are going to fail over and over and over again. Right. One thing I miss is like a lot of these animated films, I don't go to see a lot of them, but it seems like it got sort of lazy. Like these animated films are like, and now here's a Smash Mouth song. Yeah. Oh, yeah. But this has all original music. Oh, right? yeah. You Which know? gets us to our next song. We're off with Fozzie on our road trip, mm-hmm. and we get to Moving Right Along. A frog and a bear seeing America. Moving right along in search of good times and good news with good friends you can't lose. Once let's reach out and grab it yeah. Together we'll nab it We'll hitchhike bus or yellow cabin Cabin Moving right along which I, as a kid, my sister and I left just singing that song for about a week after yeah. we left oh, the theater, yeah. you know? That album must have been a huge oh, hit. Oh, yeah, I had that album. Yeah. I think I had my, it, too. My, yeah, my dad yeah. bought that for me, if I remember correctly. Um, I love, yeah. I, I, I actually don't know what my favorite song in the movie is because oh. each one I see, I hear, I, I go, so oh, good. no, that's my favorite. So we've moved right along. Yes, we have. <laughs> and we By the way, that is my favorite song. Yes, moving right along. It's yeah. number one. I, 
it, I, I love it might be. Pieces, but I don't know. Yeah. Other um, movie songs. But then we get to the like, oh, then we get to the Electric Mayhem. Yeah. yeah. We get to this church, <laughs> which probably isn't my favorite song, but it is a great musical number, and right. we find this hippie crazy band yeah you know living in the middle of the nowhere who i love they want to put up a cafe with live music in a church and it's like <laughs> man where have i heard that recently yeah. it seems to be still going on yeah um and we get to this thing that happens throughout like the movie where they say uh they they have to pull out the script mm. and reread the script to figure out what has been going on yeah <laughs> so great. which is this thing that happens throughout of we're in a movie talking about a movie referencing the movie we're in the levels right. of reality are which is a kid, I I think I don't know if they went by me or I just loved them. I don't know. It's a it's meta beyond meta beyond yeah. meta. Like it's just so deep deep. It's like it's like it's like that scene where Wells is walking past the mirror and you see the mirror and the mirror 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 all the way down. That's right. what it's like. It, it's, it's going so deep in it. And the fact that they use it later to save them yeah. is hilarious. To and a little subtle thing I love about that moment when, when Teeth brings out the script again, yeah. he's been doodling all over. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> he's covered in all these doodles and stuff. That's it's hilarious. all curled up and he's been carrying it the whole time. That's right. <laughs> and, and As you do with a script. Yeah, sure. <laughs> and I think at this point we realize, like, because you've been watching the TV show, because everyone who went to see this movie was a fan of the TV show, like, oh, we're going to meet all our people. Yeah. You know? And how exciting that is. I think next we meet Gonzo. Mm-hmm. At the fair, mm-hmm. um, who has a great in- introduction and his strange obsession with chickens. With the chickens, yeah. <laughs> his wife, yeah. And, it, and yeah. this is definitely something that goes to an adult sense of humor. Yeah. Because, you know, you always have to be going like, what is Konzo doing with yeah. these chickens? Just don't go too you far. Yeah. But it's out there. <laughs> we, all have our, we all have our fetishes. There's nothing wrong with it. It's just how it works. Yeah. Yeah. And then one thing I quickly learned uh, working at the workshop was like, uh, someone came to me and said, we need Camilla. Oh yeah, for a bit. And I went, oh, okay, let me. And I get a chicken. But that's not Camilla. I'm like, oh. oh, how do you tell the difference? And I, I wish I could remember exactly the color. But they, these chickens have eyelids. Yeah. And Camilla's eyelids are a different color than the other chickens. Oh, right. wow. she's purple or blue or something. But Camilla solid. is a specific chicken puppet. She looks exactly like the other chicken puppets. You're right. Other than these, uh, these. Yeah, animals. but for whatever you do, that stuff becomes serious. Yeah. yeah. You know, if you're good at, especially, it's like, no, no, it is this one. Right. Well, let's get to Miss Piggy. Yeah. yeah. So my son, Jackson, we watched it for the second time. <laughs> Halfway through the movie, he goes, I don't like Miss Piggy. Yeah. Oh. And I said, what do you mean by that? What do you mean you don't like her? He's, he's, I said, do you mean that you don't think she's funny and you don't like her in the movie? He said, no, she's funny, but she's a bad person. Yeah. <laughs> and and she, Miss Piggy is an amazingly complicated. Yes. Well, she gets that call from her agent and leaves oh. him. Bye. <laughs> I mean, what the, what, the, I've just sacrificed, I've fought for you, and it, boom. Yeah. Well, she is a, uh, uh, a, I don't want to say a false person. She, she is laying out a character that is not real throughout the whole film, and there are layers of what her reality is, mm-hmm. yeah. because she's like, lovey, 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 all right, give me the information, right. you know, on the phone. Right. You know, she is, and, and it's like, oh, I think that's the real her. Mm-hmm. Well, I think I, I would take a little bit of uh, exception with, I would say that, she is who she is always. Mm-hmm. So you either take it or leave her. Like Kermit sees the other side of her and knows that she plays this one thing because she's incredibly insecure, wants to be loved, mm-hmm. but there's another part of her. It's like Sally Field and Soap Dish. It's basically that, <laughs> right? She shows herself to be this America's sweetheart, but underneath she's this very ambitious, driven woman to be, to be the number one person on whatever she's on. And a lot of actors have that. A lot well, of actors And she's happy that. to use whatever yes. tactics are necessary. Yes. Well, could you say she's in it for the rich and famous and Kermit's yeah. oh, of course, people happy? Absolutely. The, uh... Well, and she, wa- she will guilt Kermit. Mm-hmm. She will yeah. pressure Kermit. Right. She will manipulate him into giving her the love that she wants. Yeah. 
and Kermit knows it's happening. And you could see, like, when she shows up back, when she goes away mm-hmm. and then comes back, and she gets into the car with all the other people, they, there is this serious Yoko Ono moment <laughs> oh, yeah. going on. <laughs> when they're just like, oh, no, here she is again. Right, yeah. right. Yeah. Which, is a, which is an interesting line to walk, you know, because it, it could come off as, as chauvinistic, it could come off as misogynistic. But I think because she is how she is and still powerful in her character, mm-hmm. it doesn't cross that line. I think that even now it doesn't cross that line when I watch it I watched all, every episode of that Muppets show that was on ABC when they tried to reboot yeah. it again same character same thing pushed the boundaries still stayed within her, her character which I think is a, is a positive thing about this mm-hmm. whole, uh, the whole all the Muppets in this movie well and it's this thing that the Muppets do so well of walking this line yeah. of we're going to go like Fozzie goes right to the edge of being depressing mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. but mm-hmm. doesn't quite get there Piggy goes right to the edge of being you have to reject her because yeah. she's so horrible but she's still so amusing that she just keeps you mm-hmm. you keep wanting her back in and I've witnessed uh, I, I can't cite anything in particular for various reasons but I have witnessed uh, the Muppet performers work with a script and change lines to con- to keep that consistent oh yeah sometimes like there was a bit I can't remember what it was on the new TV show where Fozzie responded to a character and they just said that's just too mean he, yeah and they were right he wouldn't say that and the writer's like oh of course of course right. and because so the performers playing them now are caretaking that very right. carefully that's awesome yeah yeah. Well, and Piggy does save them, right? With the, the mm. with the machine, she she saves oh, yeah. Kermit when Kermit's about right, to get right. brainwashed. So <laughs> she's not like she's not like she's just she's not an opportunist yeah. all the way. She oh, does she, really care about. She it. loves Kermit in her yeah. way. There she is cares no about question. Yeah. She yeah. loves herself maybe more. Yes, of course. But I, just you, want, I just want to take a minute to remind everybody we're talking about puppets, right? <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> but that's that's the genius of Henson it and, really the, and the puppeteers to create such they're such characters that we gravitate to and know and love. Well, what I've heard, and I'm sure you've experienced this, is that. Particularly with the kids, but with anyone was interacting with one of these puppets, mm-hmm. they would talk to the puppet. Yeah. yeah. Um, oh, so do directors and boom mic operators. Really? Boom wow. mic operators will lower the mic above the puppet. Even though you're under the table with the lav mic on a headband, perfectly <laughs> sounded up. Like, could you get a little, brother? Can you? <laughs> you can just put that away, my friend. <laughs> yeah, it happens all the time. Yeah. Also, you'll be under the table and they'll oh, or crazy. under the set, and they'll say like, "Can you have him look over here?" No, over here. It's like I cannot see what you mean by over here. <laughs> Tell me on the screen what part of the screen you want me to the puppet to look at, my friend. You know, it's always a learning curve on puppet shoots. And I will say, on I worked on every episode of the ABC show. Oh, cool. And Randall Einhorn from The Office, right. he directed almost every episode. Was an executive producer. He brought a crew with him, a camera crew. Uh, and my God, they were just they were like puppeteers as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, Pretty quickly after filming the pilot presentation, this crew got... It was very hard to do puppets handheld like that show did. And they got what we needed for every setup. Because we can't just be like... We're going to pan over and find your puppet. Well, by the time you pan over, my puppet might not look right anymore. So they would show us the number two look before they'd swing back and, and do the number one. It was like a such a finely oiled machine. It was mm-hmm. such a joy to work on. Yeah. But that's later in right. history. <laughs> so one thing we haven't gotten to is there are bad guys in this mm-hmm. yeah. Charles Durning. Charles Durning. And then Max P- uh, P- Austin Pendleton as yeah, Max. He's like Max? such a suffering villain. Works, <laughs> works all the time. Yeah, and whenever always. he shows up in, a, in anything, I'm yeah. always like, I mean, to get a smile on my face because I've seen him in so many things. And he's always yeah. great with that voice of his. I don't know. And he starts with that green vinyl yeah, cap. Yeah. Like he's yeah. clearly on Kermit's side from the top of the show. Oh, that's right. a good point. Because <laughs> when Kermit's point. about to get crushed, he's the one screaming, no, jump out of the way. Yeah. Jump out of the way. It was yeah, almost gone yeah. with the Schwinn. That's right. 
Um, and Charles Durning plays a great He's classic. He's so villain. good. I saw him play Big Daddy in Cadillac Tonight. Oh, oh wow. Awesome. Basically the same characterization. But <laughs> <right>. <laughs> Still masterful. And they are chasing Kermit down to get uh, to make him the spokesperson for their frog leg fast And food. how great those legs that he sees look like the McDonald's arch. Oh, yeah. Leg. It's so smart. And, and, and it's funny because this is uh, our first sort of family movie. Family movies have to do this a lot of dealing with actual death. Yeah, mm -hmm. you know, because what they're talking about is is a company that takes creatures like Kermit yeah. and cook deep fries them so people right. can eat them. Isn't there a crutches joke in there somewhere? So there it kind of softens it, like the old National yeah. Lampoon uh, record cover. That's not funny. That's sick. I think. It was. <laughs> yeah, no, a, yeah. The person to the restaurant, frog leg special. There's a there's a frog reeling out of the kitchen on the one's little cartoon. That's right. That's right. That's right. <laughs> um, uh, so he's chasing down Kermit to be his. Great spokesperson, right? Spokesfrog, and and it and it you know it escalates. First they're trying to bribe Which, him, then they're to get a little meta. By the way, Kermit started as a spokesfrog. Selling oh, right. our puppets like him started. Like, like, Jim is Kanye parroting himself too. He's going to get into advertising. He needs Kermit to right. do it. Commercials were a huge part of the Henson Company. That's yeah. how they got started. Yeah, and they continued to make money yeah. through it for, for a long, long time. Yeah. 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 So anyway, I'm sorry to interrupt. Um, and and uh, so we're battling each of them while we have all of these. Guest stars popping up in yeah. every single scene. Um, you know, I made a list of them here. Let me find it. Oh, yeah. I can tell you, Telly Savalas, Madeline Kahn, Caroline. Yeah. And Carol uh, watching Kelly. again, I was like, Telly Savalas hardly, is hardly in it. Yes, for like a second. But as a kid, I was like, hey, Kojak's here. So we've got uh, Dom DeLuise, Madeline Kahn, Telly Savalas, Carol Kane, Milton Burrow, Elliot Gould, Edgar Bergen, and Charlie McCarthy. That's a great one. Bob yeah. Hope, Bob Richard Hope. Pryor, Steve Martin, Mel Brooks, Orson Welles is at the end of the movie. Floris Leachin. Yeah. I mean, there's so many, and I probably miss some. Yeah, well, and the film is legend for Bergen and McCarthy's last appearance on yeah, right. screen doing anything. So right. it's just a great callback to that, you know, and that's respect for what came before, entertainment that came before, right? Henson has a, a, an understanding of history and mm -hmm. a respect for it that works multi-generational. And it's, like you said, Steve, a family film, it's multi-generational for those what, reasons. One thing I learned from, again, I'll recommend the Brian J. Jones biography, mm -hmm. is that uh, Bert Lingstrom, like, oh boy, the puppet community is going to murder me, the guy behind Kukla Friend and Ollie, he mm -hmm. helped Jim and Jane find their first New York apartment. I mean, wow. they were friendly with these people. Yeah. Jim was very involved in the international and the national puppetry community. He, he maybe didn't start out to be a puppeteer, but he very quickly understood, I need to respect this art form. Right. And he learned everything he could about it and became a puppet master. Well, this mm -hmm. is the thing I learned reading that book was I didn't, I didn't know there was a puppet community. Oh, yeah. my God. You know? Oh, yes, there is. And, 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 there, <laughs> and that there's a, what's the guy downtown, Bob? Uh, Bob, Bob Baker Marionette. Bob Maker, Baker, that they knew each other and that all these mm. people knew each other and there was competition and there was a lot of pride and learning lessons from he each met other. uh frank oz at a puppetry convention frank uh frank's parents were puppeteers and frank himself wasn't so sure he wanted to be a puppeteer but he grew up around puppets yeah. so it was very easy for him to become right. and look what frank did he directed some henson films then went on to be a director and right. yeah. left the puppets behind for the most part yeah one of the most unsettling stories with oz was um the brando story on the score Oh. Brando was such a jerk off to him and he said I'm not going to take direction from Miss Piggy like at one point oh. and he had people relaying directions from Oz through an intermediary to him that's the kind of hubris that drives me nuts about certain yeah, people we, you we, know because Oz is so great and so fantastic what he's done yeah. even in that Blues Brothers cameo when he's like oh, yeah. being the prison guy signing out oh, the yeah. stuff to give to Belushi I love this so great there is a DNA between the Blues Brothers and, yes. and the Muppets too Absolutely. same time period one certainly more for adults I saw both of them as kids and yeah. loved them both me too but yeah I forgot Frank was and Steven Spielberg Get the very Public guys with something? Is he in the sandwich? He's eating the lunch. Sandwich. Yeah. <laughs> a, a lovely Easter egg in the 2011 Jason Siegel Muppet film that I was there when we shot this bit. 
was Madman Mooney's used cars. With oh, Girl. it shows up again. Right. Not only does it show up again, the 2011 film found the original used car dealership in Van Nuys, oh. and we shot there for a morning. Wow. And they found, they said they found Milton Berle's costume. <laughs> and there's a gentleman who plays Mad, it's now it said, if you look closely in the 2000, it said Madman Mooney and Sons used cars. Nice. And there's a fellow who is not a spring chicken who's wearing the suit. And very quickly, you see the same thing happens again. Sweetums goes, yeah. oh, he runs away, and then he comes back, wait for me! Yeah. And we went so far, the, the film went so far as to try to completely recreate the same tracking shot because oh, the wow. Studebaker leaves and takes a right and goes down the street and goes off in the distance. And then Sweetums comes and runs. And they get there, they see that in the years since, they put up this iron gate around the used car dealership. Oh. So mm. they couldn't get the crane to do that shot. And they did it as, right. a, as a cut. So then Kermit and Miss Piggy go on a date. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and suddenly he has a tuxedo. tuxedo. <laughs> we have this very romantic scene, yeah. and we have Steve Martin Steve essentially Martin. doing the bad waiter yeah. thing. Who was on top of the world right there. Oh, yeah. yeah. Let's Get Small was huge. I mean, yeah. people cheered when he showed up. Oh, waiter? Yes? May I help you? Uh, uh, the, uh, the wine, please? Oh, you mad impetuous thing, it's champagne. Not exactly. Sparkling Muscatel, one of the finest wines of Idaho. Uh, uh, well, you may serve us now, please. Oh, may I? Look how he does that. Yeah, very swamp. Don't you want to smell the bottle cap? Oh, okay. Uh, mm-hmm. Smells good. Mm, yeah. Just love that scene. <laughs> yeah. Oh, may I? Oh, may I? Yeah. And, you know, people have said that, you know, uh, that Steve Martin, the, the excuse me bit, was kind of like the ultimate me generation selfishness mm, thing. Right. And now you've got him doing that persona in the face of these innocent Muppets. Yeah. yeah. And it kind of softens his edge mm-hmm. because we're on their side, even though he's going to do his I'm a jerk shtick. Right. Well, but, and but, they're just too naive to get what a jerk he's being, right. which is a lovely way to handle it. Right, because they, they think the best of people, therefore they wouldn't, right. yeah, they right. wouldn't they don't get, get into this the guy wearing the shorts. Yeah. <laughs> well, part, of it, part of it is we know we're watching a movie. Yeah. You know, like you're just like, oh, here's Steve Martin. Even as a kid, I knew who that was Steve Martin. Yeah. You know, because I'd seen him probably on The Muppet Show yeah. and other things. And it's like, Oh, this is a sketch. Yeah. We're having fun with the fact that th- this thing is here. Yeah. And then we get this great scene with Kermit and Rolf. Oh. Um, By Rolf, the way, that's no. a scene where Jim is talking to Jim. Isn't it? Evening. Rolf. Rolf the dog. Sit yourself down. Kermit. Kermit the barn. Pleased to meet you. I'm no hyphens, but I get by. Well, that, was, that was very nice. Oh, a broken heart, right? Was it sure? Listen, when you've been tickling the ivories as long as I have, you've seen a broken heart for every drop of rain, a shattered dream for every fallen star. Exactly. Gosh, yeah. And I think Rolf's my favorite character. Yeah, I can see that. He's got some wisdom. He does. He's been around. He's kind of accepted the resignation of his life. Like, he's where he's at, and he's just like, I'm doing it, and I'm a piano player, and that's the way it is. But he's got great wisdom for Kermit of, like, you know, can't, well, women, what are we going to do? You yeah. know, that kind of thing. 
Well, and I get the sense from Rolf that he's happy to play in this horrible restaurant. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. And he probably would be just the same if he was playing at a big concert mm-hmm. or if he was playing on TV and he's just going to be Rolf. Mm-hmm. Nothing's going to nothing's gonna phase him. It's amazing how many depressives are in the Muppets. Right? Gonzo, <laughs> Fozzie, Rolf, you know, yeah. they, all, they all have their... But they, but they want something more. They gravitate to the energy, the brightness that is Kermit, the hope that is Kermit. Then that's what he accrues. Well, it, these it, is the, it is the best version of artists coming together yeah. that I can think of yeah. where it's like we're all crazy. We're all sad. We're all motivated by all mm-hmm. these things. And we all love and support each other's craziness and sadness yeah. and dreams and happy for their dreams to be whatever their dreams are. It's not that anyone says to Gonzo, what you're doing makes no sense at all and you'll right. probably die. Yeah. Right. They're going, you have to be gonzo. Yeah. You know? There's that whole the show must go on thing. Yeah. yeah. Like when I, you know, I was trained as an actor and then I had to finally get like a day job. And I remember sort of thinking like, oh man, I'm an actor. What do I know about the real world of work? And I'm a flake <laughs> and all this stuff. And then like a publishing company I worked in in San Francisco, they ended up offering me like this full-time job. And then my wife kind of reminded me at the time, she's like, well, that's because as actors, the show must go on. And yeah. we get it done. Yeah. Opening night's going to happen whether, whether you're right. ready or not. So be ready for it. So we're very good project-based people. That's we're true. very well, strong yeah, project-oriented. I mean, all three of us grew up as theater people. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And like, that's the thing I love is that you had to get this done. Yeah. And you had to be organized. And you had to show up. And you had to paint the set. And you had to do and learn the lines and do all the things because yeah. the show is an absolute yeah, the yeah. show must go on, as you say. Yeah. And you there's know. nothing greater than the joy, especially when you're first starting out, like in middle school or something, of that abject terror and fear and stage fright. And then when it's over, you did it. Yeah, yeah. the oh, adrenaline man. rush. We did it. No, we'll yeah. do it again. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 <laughs> like you, I managed. I managed a facility for three years with mm-hmm. DVD testing. I had a crew of twenty people. Oh my goodness, we, we had to get projects done for all the major studios. And it was that. It's that they understood. I whatever needs to get done, get done. Whatever we need to move around, we need to move around. Right. You're right because it's that determination to finish. Yeah. It does not go away. And so it's we delude ourselves as, as artists that like, oh, we couldn't handle a regular day job. But if it's the right job about completing projects, troubleshooting situations, that's what we're born to. That's what we've been doing yeah. our entire lives. Like, may, how am I going to pay rent? How, what do I got to grab now to make to make sure I can pay rent? Oh, you know? I can hustle. Yeah, yeah exactly. Right. That's <laughs> well, the goal. And, the, and the idea, the idea that I think you hear all the time, like, oh, artists are flakes. Yeah. Okay, yes, sometimes it's true. Sure. And sometimes all of us have been flakes in a lot of ways, yeah. maybe unrealistic or maybe, you know, all, all those things. But artists are also people that get stuff done. Yes. Because yeah. if you're not working in a corporate structure, if you're not working with deadlines and a support staff, and it's like, if you're going to get something done, like this podcast. Yeah. This podcast happens because we choose to do it. Yep. And we do what is necessary every week to put the show out. Yep. And there is no uh, safety net for us. I left the comfort of a woman's bed. To be here this wow. morning to talk about to talk about, about the Muppet movie. I mean, the comfort of a woman's bed. To Does be your here wife because... know this? <laughs> you can't live with them. You can't live without them. There's something irresistible-ish about them. We grin and bear it because the nights are long. I hope that something better comes along. I see what you mean. It's no good complaining and pointless to holler. If she's a beauty, she'll get under your collar. She made a monkey out of old King Kong. I hope that something better comes along. Kermit coming to sing with Rolf, Mm -hmm. and that is... Jim singing with Jim and talking right. to Jim. How do we do that? Well, it's very simple. Even in the early days of Sam and Friends, those commercials, Jim had a little tape recorder, and before he and his wife Jane would go film a bit, he would record both voices and get the rhythm right, and then he would rehearse to a, to a playback. 
So in a lot of those Sam and Friends shows and Wilkins and Wilkins, that's how they did it. So that's how you do it. You have one puppeteer performing one of Jim's characters while Jim does the other one. Mm -hmm. And often for the hero shot, the master puppeteer, Jim in this case, would take Kermit back and do the voice. And then another puppeteer would keep what we call keep, keep Ralph alive. Right. And you don't just, like, I've done this. I won't really say which characters I've played because I don't want anyone to think I'm taking any credit for these characters, but I've kind of had my hand in most of the major Muppets at some point. And the job of that puppeteer is to keep that puppet alive in character. Mm. And what's great is the master puppeteer, the, the regular performers right there, saying, you know, Ralph would maybe tilt his head a little here, or he would look this way, he would nod, or when you mm. nod, don't nod. Very subtle things, mm. but you're caretaking the character for the other performer right there. Like that's what additional Muppet performers like me do. We yeah. play the other character while the main puppeteer is playing the speaking character in the shot so if we have two so in that scene Mm -hmm. uh if we have two people played by the same character is the audio always pre-recorded i think in the case of the of the film if they're in conversation in one shot i would say they're playing they might be performing to playback Mm. and if you had jim henson and frank oz would they be doing it live yeah, or, probably. So the yeah. only one because that... a big thing for Jim was improvisation as well. The apparently in the Sesame Street days they could barely get through takes and they really didn't stick to the script completely because Jim and Frank had such a chemistry that they improvised a lot. And that's to kind of go all over the map. The show I'm involved in right now, Puppet Up, comes from Brian Henson having witnessed this as a child that the funniest stuff happened when they would yell "cut" and then Kermit and Fozzie and Piggy would go very blue. <laughs> right. Nothing that you could show to the children or the families of the world. But he said that, w- and then Brian developed Puppet Up as a way to train basically the West Coast, well, all of his current generation of puppeteers to kind of get that looseness. So we brought yeah. in Patrick Bristow from the Groundlings to give improv workshops to puppeteers with a camera. And someone well, said, you were an improv guy. I mean, when we knew, I knew you back in the day. Uh, I really started here in L.A. at the Groundlings. I mean, mm-hmm. I, I did some improv, but I, I studied it at the right. Groundlings mm-hmm. when I got here. Uh, and basically, those workshops, someone said, we should, the best thing is to do this in front of an audience. Let's get an audience together. And of course... Brian doesn't know anything halfway. He got a bunch of bleachers. He got some cameras. We used the soundstage over at the Henson Studios. Right. Happened to invite some people from the Aspen Comedy Festival. Sure. <laughs> Next thing you know, you've got a show. And that yeah. has been a show that's been around for almost nine or ten years now. Wow. But that goes back to the soul of what Jim and Frank were doing, which was goofing around with these puppets in front of cameras. Well, and I was thinking about it before coming here. I think Jim Henson and Frank Oz are one of the great duos mm-hmm. of all time and totally unique because normally if you have Abbott and Costello or you have you know John Belushi and Dan Aykroyd or whoever you want to name yeah. a comedy duo they're only playing two parts mm-hmm. whereas that Jim and Frank are a romantic comedy couple yeah they're best friends with Fozzie and Kermit yeah you know they're, they're they like play all these different characters together and yet maintain this Bert and Ernie yeah, yeah Bert and Ernie but yeah. maintain this fantastic chemistry oh and the trust they, they, they loved each other when it, when it came time to make Dark Crystal they co-directed that film right mm. yeah I mean Jim trusted Frank implicitly you know yeah. and it's right. interesting you talk about Kermit still does he want to be rich and famous does he want to make millions of people happy well as his journey begins he also wants to make the weirdos and nuts that he assembles around him he oh, wants yeah. their happiness yes. too yes that's and the key and he quickly becomes the caretaker of their happiness for really the rest of Kermit's career yes as a character still now even through the ABC show he's still, still doing trying to take thing, care yeah. of, of, of well, his friends and, yeah. in, 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 in impossible circumstances with people that aren't always that grateful to him yeah mm-hmm. you know and he continues to just choose I have to I have to take care of these people I have to yeah. do the right thing over yeah. and over again so and then we get to this moment in the desert of this great uh, existential yeah. crisis for Kermit. Um, it's just a, an amazing moment of the seriousness of what we're talking about, mm-hmm. which is, and you do have to have 
you know, it's always darkest before the dawn. You do have to go through this moment. Mm -hmm. And that Kermit has now officially taken on the role of I'm responsible for these people. Right. Um, and how do you get to that? Like, mm. no one asked him to be responsible. Right. Well, again, read that biography. And I think yeah. that's sort of where Jim Henson was. Yeah. His company grew very quickly. Mm -hmm. And, you know, he, he didn't necessarily set out to run a big company, but he wanted the autonomy. But then he, he always felt this responsibility for all these people he'd gathered together. And he right. wanted to keep them together. Right. You know, it was very hard to run a creature shop when there's no job coming in. But eventually he did do that. He put people on payroll for years and then kept scrambling for work, even though he was the great Jim Henson. Right. Yeah. He still was very dedicated to the people he employed. He was, he's Kermit. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, very much so, yeah. Yeah, because Kermit's going to look out for you. Yeah. 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 No matter what. Yeah, we all could use a Kermit in our lives, <laughs> I think, sometimes. And he has that Henry V moment where he's like, Oh, yeah. I've brought these people this far, and now I've failed them. We're not going to get there. And he has to see himself. He has to have a conversation with himself. It's very similar to what Henry V has right before the, the Battle of Agincourt, what Christ has in the, in the garden when he's like, can this, can this cup pass over me? There's all, these, there's all these shades of it when he has that. Even, even uh, uh, Star Wars, where, he's, where, uh, where uh, Luke is facing himself in the mask, in the Vader right. mask, which right. is, of course, an allusion to the possibility that, that Anakin is his dad, or Darth Vader is his dad. So all of that is there. It was so weird to put that in a Muppet movie. You're like, yeah. what is this doing here? But it's an adult moment, and kids are smart enough to get those moments. Because mm -hmm. kids at that age still have their own conversation with themselves. Like they're starting to develop conversations with themselves. It's just brilliant on so many levels, the mm -hmm. film. Well, and this is why this is a family film yeah. and not a kid's film. Yeah. Like, yeah, it's, it's a, not exactly. It, it, it literally is for everybody. And for you to enjoy it at the place that you are. And I was thinking about this with uh, I went to see the new Pete's Dragon, which I actually liked quite a bit. Great reviews. Nobody went. I really I liked it. I don't understand. It. Well, and what's weird is that's a family movie. Yeah. That's the kind of movie that doesn't, like the Black Stallion or like, you know, where, where that, I was like, oh, this movie doesn't exist that much anymore. Mm -hmm. Other than some of the Pixar films. Yeah. That when you go to see an animated kid film, it's jokey and loud and stupid and fast. And like, that's mm -hmm. what it is. And I'm right. not saying that's bad. But this idea of what the Muppet movie is, is really unique and mm -hmm. something that I miss. Yeah. Before we move on, I want to talk about something. Like one thing I noticed that you, you mentioned how like the adult uh, stuff versus kid stuff for Jim Henson. Mm -hmm. and, yeah. and, and while it is true that Jim always longed for them to be remembered as uh, that we do adult comedy as well, primetime comedy, stuff like that. When he did, did work in children's television and throughout the rest of his career, whenever they did something, children's television, it's very interesting that Jim didn't want to just put on a kiddie show. Yeah, like when right. Muppet Babies became so popular mm. from the sequence in the, whichever mm -hmm. Muppet movie, the Muppet movie. And then they said, hey, we could do an animated Saturday morning show. Jim initially resisted Saturday morning. Oh, wow. And then he realized, wait a minute, the kids are there anyway. So let's do something commercial Saturday morning. But he made sure that it wasn't just the Muppet Babies being the Muppet Babies. Every, that whole show was about imagination. There was a mandate on that show. Mm -hmm. So even though he dabbled in both sides of things, when he worked for kids, he was all in for the kids. You know, he, that, that warm, fuzzy feeling of, of the Jim Henson vibe is not just, uh, that's the real thing. That's right. real Jim, yeah. you know? Well, there's a clear moral core to the Muppets mm -hmm. and a clear sort of, this is what we believe in, a belief system yeah. right. that with all the silliness is always there. And I think that's one of the things that I think people don't get when they examine. So finally, we get to the big showdown mm -hmm. uh, at the Old West Town, which for some reason, Dr. Bunsen Honeydew yeah, and Muppet Labs Beaker, is, Muppet Labs right is when you need Old them. West Town. <laughs> and growth pills. Um, which I think, uh, I think Beaker is my wife's favorite Muppet. Oh, yeah. really? Yeah. So we have this final showdown. And what do you have is Kermit making this decision essentially to sacrifice himself to yeah. save everybody mm -hmm. else. Yeah. And it's 
fairly heavy. Yeah, <laughs> it is because he has no. There's nothing in uh, in the story to suggest that he has a plan. No, out, he's yeah. just going to face no. it. He's just going to face it. Yeah, yeah. But all the all the tem- entertainment we like as kids has that heavy theme. Lord of the Rings has that kind of heavy. You're learning. You're reading Lord of the Rings at ten, eleven years old, right? Yeah. Twelve years old. You're reading all these things. You're discovering heaviness in your entertainment in your media because you probably dealt with it as a kid or you know someone who's dealt with it as a kid we it happens and so it's about coding it in all this other stuff right. that makes it palatable when you're a child and that the death is heavy or the the prospect of his death is heavy but it's still it's played for jokes from the beginning with mm-hmm. the with the wheelchair and the either the crutch and everything like it's all played for right. jokes so you know he's going to sacrifice he might be but it's about the nobility of the sacrifice not necessarily the result of the it's sacrifice it's that great moment when all hope is lost. Yeah. And then yeah. the hero takes that extra step. Yep. And then yeah. we get rescued by animal. Yeah. <laughs> a giant animal. And having read again, I keep saying this, the book, I read that, you know, Frank says Jim didn't want to do anything small. He said, like, keep it simple. Then let's make a giant animal head. And I got to say, looking back at it, I was like, I'm trying to say, how big was that head? How much of that really was? A, I think they did make a giant animal head. Oh, wow. Like they did. Yeah. But they also did some kind of a matting. They must have. I don't yeah. know. I have to look at it again. Yeah. It's really cool. Yeah. yeah. It's amazing. And I remember that happened. I was like, yeah. You know, oh, as a yeah. kid, you're like, great, great heroic yeah. moment. All right. Yeah. <laughs> I, think it's time, I think it's time to get the standard rich and famous contract. Oh, oh my yes. gosh. I'm a huge Orson Welles fan. And I was as all a three child of us are. then. All three of us are. How poetic and glorious is it that Jim Henson made him the head of a studio? <laughs> Lou yeah. Lord. Lou Lord. Yeah. <laughs> Named after Lou Grade. That's right. The benefactor. With with uh, with Cloris Leachman as his yeah, secretary, yeah. who is I think we talked about her in Young Frankenstein, yeah. one of the great underrated people of all time. Yeah, she oh, is, yeah, she is so good in every single thing she has ever done. And yeah. a little uh, wardrobe hair touch. I love that she's got this forties crazy forties yeah. updo. Like she is from the golden age of Hollywood. <laughs> she's been working for this guy. You know, she still has like Art Deco, lovely right. office and everything. And but once they... again, this is because this film is told through Kermit's point of view. Mm-hmm. And we get that when we're sitting in, right before the movie starts. Kermit walks up to take a seat and his, his nephew says like, yeah. Uncle Kermit, is this, is this how the Muppets starting? Yeah. Eh, approximately, yeah. Because yeah. right. it's all through his eyes. In his eyes, he sees the grandiose of Hollywood and also naturally she'd have a 40s hairdo and all that yeah. kind of stuff. And he'd, he'd be sitting behind this huge desk and he spins around. Yeah. Well, and and that touches moment, a button on his desk. That's, that's yeah. right. Well, and that yeah. moment is... Uh, that moment is show business. Yeah. Is this really what happened? Approximately. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's, that, it's that nobody in this... I mean, obviously it's not true because Kermit never lived in a swamp. Kermit's made of felt. But, but, but like... But, but Jim it, grew up near one. Okay. Yeah, there we yeah. go. But, um, but it's also... This is a construction within a construction within a construction. Like right. all theater, all movies, it's all lies. Yeah. But it's wonderfully told lies that have the jewel of truth within, within them. Yeah. You know? So, and, and then we get Orson Welles and there's this long pause... <laughs> Where they say, Can, we're here for the thing, we're here for fame, and then a long pause, and uh, you got to love Orson. Yeah. And then he says, Miss Tracy, prepare the standard rich and famous contract for Kermit the Frog and company. Yeah. Which is exactly what would never happen. It has certainly right. never happened yeah. to any of us. And nor to Orson. That's for sure. Nor to Orson. <laughs> uh, but I cannot tell you how many times I've mentioned the standard rich and famous contract. Sure. I want that standard Richard Who doesn't? Contract. Who doesn't? You know? And then they go off to make their movie. Yeah. yeah. And the movie is the movie of the movie I love that the we bits, just watched. The, the set, the two dimensional set pieces yeah. and that whole number <laughs> floating by. 
Yeah. And, and then we're like, oh, cool. We're going to make the movie of the movie. And, mm-hmm. we, and we all, and this is sort of a cliche now, you know, that like you have the artist trying to tell the story. And at yeah. the end of the story, the story is the story of the artist trying to tell the story. Right. That's a cliche throughout a lot of movies. And so we're comfortable in this space and yeah. what's going to happen. And then this remarkable thing happens, I think. Yeah. Which is that it breaks. It fails. It fails. Yeah. And then they turn to camera and start with another great song. Life's like a movie. Write your own ending. Keep believing. Keep pretending. We've done just what we set out to do. I don't know why it makes me cry. Because you're an artist. You understand. The, the, the failing at the last possible minute when you have everything squared away is the greatest fear yeah. of every artist. Yeah. yeah. And it's like the dream is, go- oh, no, I was so close. There's that always that that is ingrained in us since we were probably kids, you know? Well, yeah. so- I, I, and I think it's the reaction to that moment is, yeah. they, is that they're yes. not hurt by it. Yeah. They mm-hmm. go, this is what we're doing. Yeah. Keep believing. Well, the hero takes the next step. Right? Yeah. Right. You right. keep going forward. And, he, and I love what you just mentioned. It's like he looks at us. Yeah. yeah. And as a little kid in the audience, I mean, how many people? I might have been inspired by this myself to get into the business, you yeah. know? No, I'm, I'm teary-eyed I'm right still now waiting for the rich and famous content. <laughs> we all are. We all are. But, but that moment <laughs> of them, here's your mission now. Right. Yeah. Keep believing, keep yeah. pretending. Yeah. It's very reminiscent of what happens in uh, uh, Meaning of Life when he comes out of the refrigerator and sings like uh, sing, Eric Idle <laughs> sings that song. Yeah. I always correlate those two songs because yeah. right, that's right when she's like they're taking his guts out or his, her husband's guts out and he's still alive. And I was gonna, she's, <laughs> she's all depressed about the world and he comes out and he, goes, and he sings the song, you know, and it's so great. What, it's so funny. It's like you've taken us from this moment and I think you're totally right. I am right. Now we're taking it going to live kidney donations yeah. and life's a piece of shit when you look at it. And right. you know what? They're both right. They're actually yeah, very it's about similar. perspective. Is this when you're spinning and you're like the small speck in it but because everything because it's, it's not that big of a deal you could still do it you could still live you could still survive like them singing uh like uh, with hanging on oh, the wait, crucifix of, that's yeah that's yeah. that's yes, the crucifix. yeah yeah the i crucifix quoted the wrong too. the wrong yeah. song yeah that's a really dark place but i think but really so is the life of an artist sure. is a pretty fairly dark place where you continue to choose that dreams and imagination are important right on some fundamental level and this brings me something i want to say about the movie which is that this is a movie about old school entertainment Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, is that you used to have this idea, which was the original Muppet Show of the variety show of we're going to have song and dance and jokes and fun, and that's what we're here for. Mm-hmm. And this movie, that's the dream they're following. It's not that you're going to see Streetcar Named Desire starring Kermit the Frog. Right. Like that's not. They're talking about we want to entertain you and entertainment as a value. Mm-hmm. That this is a good. It doesn't have to be about deep stuff. It doesn't have to be. It's like if we entertain you and make you smile for an hour and a half. Yeah. We have done good in the world, mm-hmm. and I think that is true. Well, I think that's what the symbolism of the rainbow coming in. Oh yeah, for the real rainbow coming right. in, right after the artifice falls apart. Exactly, yeah, the, the real reality of it is. Yeah. yeah, that's the beauty of it. Yeah, yeah, it's a remarkable moment. Okay, so John, yes, what are your final thoughts on the Muppet movie? Please, if you haven't seen this in a long time, go put it on. The way. The world, what has happened with the world in the last few weeks and people's reactions and the kind of sadness and depression and also the anger and the gloating and all this that's been happening in our society, in our country and in the world, really, 
it's always nice to go back and revisit the things that inspired you and, and made you happy and made you smile. And the fact that just because we're different doesn't mean we're not equal, doesn't mean we don't have value. And I think it's always good to go back and see that because even in the film, not everyone believes as Kermit believes, but they're still all together. And that's what matters, right? And that's what's so important. I think that film, these kinds of films should never leave our consciousness because they're so important for us to go back and touch and feel again and be inspired by it again and be happy again and believe again. And that's what I loved about going back, especially with what's happening now. It was so fun to revisit it and be joyful again and inspired and happy and, you know, all those kinds of things. Absolutely. Michael, what do you think? Um, you know, uh, being kind of a Muppet insider and having recently finished Brian's And having book, been inside a Muppet. And having Hello. been inside a few Muppets. Uh, <laughs> yes. Uh, I back up everything you just said. Uh, but also, uh, I see it just currently as like, I watched it in relation to where Jim was in his career. Mm. And here was a fella who, through hard work, he loved work. That's a big takeaway from the book was he didn't understand why people griped about working. No, maybe because they hated their job, but he, mm. he never he worked so hard. And this is just the, the Muppet movie is still just the beginning in a way, even though right. they had the series on and it was an international hit. Just that steady progression. And but through it all, he, he didn't he didn't even think about compromising the integrity of the message of what he wanted the Muppets to be, yeah. which is not just kiddie stuff. The uh, people say, "Oh, these be more adult in terms of being naughty and blowing things up," but it's more than that. They they didn't just blow things up and make funny jokes. He made sure there was a moral core to the Muppets, and it's all in this first film. Yeah. And I think the stuff following up with it has been sort of like trying to figure out how to maintain that while also satisfying the market and being competitive. But when you when the Muppets are at their best, they're they're staying true to that that original intention. Hmm. Yeah, I, I I was thinking a lot about this. Is that all art starts with some kind of an emotion. Mm -hmm. You know, you're angry about something, you're sad about something, you're filled with longing for something or wish something or miss something. And this movie starts with love. Mm -hmm. You know, it starts with love in a fundamental way. Love of art, of music, and love of these people that, as you said, John, all these characters are really different. Mm -hmm. They have different goals. They come from different places. And yet they all share the same love of this elusive idea of making millions of people happy. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And mm -hmm. that's all. And, and so to be taken on that journey with them, there's such a joy to it. Mm -hmm. And for me now being able to watch it with my kid and have these same characters that I loved when I was not much older than him mm -hmm. are now, you know, characters that are alive for him. And to remember that, you know, a lot of times it's just a hand in some cloth <laughs> that all that emotion is coming through. And, of course, it's the love of the artist that created it, of, yeah. of Frank Oz and Jim Henson and all these other people and technicians trying to create this one thing. It's really a remarkable movie. And the joy of friendship. Yeah. It's the joy of friendship. Even I, when those I, friends irritate you and yes, piss you off. Yes, of course. One thing it's sort of telling, too, is I think some people in the puppet community, rightly so, the puppets are valuable and expensive to create. Sure. And they're very precious. But I've heard more than one story about, like, when Jim was done with a shot, kind of tossing Kermit to the side. Right. And that sounds cruel or indifferent. That's not what it was. These puppets were a tool for him. Yeah. Right. These were equipment. Yeah. I mean, it sounds yeah. cold, but no, he, he, Kermit was a, a means to a bigger end for Jim, and it's all in the, in this movie. Naturally. Yeah. All right. So that's it for this week. I hope you go back and watch some Muppets, explore some of the other work of Jim Henson. If you're interested in that biography, it's fantastic. Um, Michael, thank you so much for coming. Uh, where could they reach you if people want to get in touch with you? Well, I got this website, my name, michaelostrom.com. I'll spell my crazy Dutch name for you. you. It's M-I-C-H-A-E-L-O-O-S-T-E-R-O-M. 
Um, you can check out my podcast with my friend Vinny, who got me started at the Henson Company. Uh, our podcast is called Nerd Like Me, and we hope to be creating some more of those for you guys soon. And um, as of this recording, I'm waiting to hear uh, where I worked for the other great children's television company of the 60s and 70s, The Crofts, uh, on Sigmund and the Sea Monsters, the reboot. And we're just waiting to hear if we get a series order for that. But I hope we do, because that's another children's playground. Can people help with that? Can they go on? Go to Amazon, watch it, and write how much you love it. Mm. Yeah, that'll help a lot. And I think you really enjoy it. There's some really great cameos in that, too. It's another huge part of my childhood is all yeah. those Crofts. Oh, yeah. Episode. And also there's Puppet Up. We just finished a run in, in Las Vegas at the Sand Showroom at the Venetian, and we're figuring out where we're going to go next. So keep an eye out for that. You can go to puppetup.com and look for notices. Very well could be coming to a city near you. We travel the country. We travel the world with that show. And that's Puppet Improv for adults, not for children. <laughs> yeah. Live on stage. There's a camera, two big monitors. You can choose to watch the puppets being naughty. Uh, taking your suggestions, or you can watch us underneath the puppets and see how we do this, how we puppeteer these puppets. Right. That's awesome. John, where can they reach you? You can always find me at the Roca says R O C H A on Twitter and Instagram. I always like to respond to you guys. So please reach out to me. It's always fun to have interactions. You guys see the shows. You can see the shows I'm hosting, co-hosting, get to be a guest on. I host the walking dead recap show review show over at Collider on Sunday nights. Uh, and obviously this show, and then also super animation game time with Yuri Lowenthal, 1 PM, Every Wednesday, Pacific Standard Time, on the Geek and Sundry Twitch channel. All right. And as always, you can reach me at SR Morris on Twitter. And that's it for this week. We will see you next time on The Cinephiles. Cinephiles.